Amen. Well, let me invite you to open your Bibles with me, if you will, to Luke's Gospel, chapter 11. You brought a Bible with you. Say amen. Uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 11. If you're visiting with us, we're going verse by verse through Luke's Gospel, and this is just simply where we find ourselves as we talk on the series, Upgrade. What we're looking at specifically is the disciples' desire for the Lord Jesus to upgrade their prayer life. You know, the disciples had the opportunity on multiple occasions to see Jesus praying, and on this particular occasion, after Jesus prayed, they went to him and said, Lord, Lord, teach us how to pray like that. And so over the next few weeks, our goal is really to introduce to you five major attitudes that will upgrade your prayer life. I'm putting these into practice in my own personal prayer life, and God's really using them to help me individually. So really, it's kind of unique uh, what God is teaching me. I'm just having the opportunity on Sunday morning to share it with you. Now, last week, we opened up this series and talked about the attitude that should begin our prayer. That attitude is relational openness. Relational openness, in a sentence, is an attitude of transparency before the Lord where we talk openly to Him and about whatever's going on inside of us as well as that which is going on all around us. And Jesus taught us to pray by beginning saying, Father. Now, this gives the idea of relational openness before God. And believe it or not, that is a unique utterance in the Christian faith. No Hindu, no Muslim, no Buddhist is ever encouraged to call God their Father. However, this is the relationship Jesus desires for you and I to have with the one true and living God. God is our Father, and we are His children, those of us who know Him personally. So relational prayer we begin with. That is the center of all genuine prayer. And you know, my hope over the next few weeks is that as you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, you will grow deeper in the knowledge of how to pray and be driven to pursue God with a new passion through your prayer life. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, the goal of the preacher isn't to fill up 30 minutes. Are y'all listening? And so I'm not up here just trying to fill up time uh, because you came to church this morning, but really I'm here that I might be able to share with you a a uh, word from the Lord that would really help you along in your walk with Jesus. So my prayer is that that would be the case. And I've uh, dealt at great length with this text. I'm pretty fired up about what I believe the Lord wants to speak to your heart. So you got it there in front of you? Say yes. Go ahead and stand with me in honor of God's word. Luke 11, beginning in verse 1. And uh, all the way through verse 4 is our text uh, this morning again. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, uh, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, there's that relational openness. Now check it out what he goes on next. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Uh, let's bow together. Uh, God, thank you for the book you wrote called The Bible and the opportunity to gather together as a fellowship and listen um, to your voice speak to our hearts. And God, I do pray that will be the case, that every individual who has come uh, this morning to your house would receive a word uh, direct for them. Obviously, a word, logos, from the scripture, but Lord, I pray that they would be receive a rhema this morning, a specific word that deals with their situation in life. And God, I pray that those who don't know you personally, they would respond by faith this morning, uh, coming to a relationship with you. And God, most of all, we pray that you would challenge us as a church, that we would grow deeper in our prayer life. And Father, uh, including myself, Lord, I want to know you more. I want to grow in my walk with you in my prayer life. Lord, that discipline always seems to be the one that crawls off the table for me. So help me, God, to uh, stay 
focused and determined in my times of prayer. And Lord, thank you for this model prayer you give us, which helps us do just that. So continue to grow us in our faith. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. All right, so we're just going to dive right in, okay? I gave you last week's um, uh, first attitude. And what I want to do this morning is give you attitude number two and number three. And so let's just dive in and talk about attitude number uh, number three as it... um, basically uh, speaks on how to upgrade your prayer life. So here it is, attitude number two, unprecedented reverence. And I want to give it to you in a sentence, so let me read it to you. Unprecedented reverence is an attitude which leads us to exalt the reputation of God above all else in our prayer. Now let me read that to you once more time. Unprecedented reverence is an attitude which leads us to exalt the reputation of God above all else in our every single prayer. Now, how many of you would be honest and you'd say, there have been times in my life when I've been praying, and maybe true of you even this morning, and you say, well, I've been praying, but God just does not seem to be answering my prayer. Anybody ever experienced that before? Slip a hand up real quick. Several people who were bold enough to do that. God bless you. And uh, that has happened in my life as well. And one reason that I have found in the Bible that we may not receive any answer to our prayers is because we are praying with selfish motives. Now, the Bible says in James 4 and verse 3, you ask and you do not receive. Why? Because you ask with wrong motives. Uh, What kind of motives? So that you may spend it on your pleasure. See, the prayer that revolves around our reputation is not answered by the Lord. And Jesus teaches us how to pray. Notice what he says in that little phrase in verse 2. After we say, Father, we come before God and now we say, everybody say it with me, hallowed be your name. Let's try that again. Hallowed be your name. So we break that phrase down for just a moment. Look at that word hallowed for a second. It speaks of the act of setting something apart as sacred, to honor something or someone as holy. This is recognizing and treating God as divine, as righteous, pure, and without sin because he is. So he says, hallowed or holy. And then he goes to that next little phrase, name. And the idea here of the word name is to speak of one's reputation. So the name of God literally is speaking about the reputation of God. Speaks of his character, speaks of his nature, speaks of his conduct. And throughout the entirety of the Bible, Old and New Testament, we are introduced to the name of our God. And oftentimes, the prophets and others, they will, because of a certain thing that goes on in their life, they will call God by a new name. They'll give him a name that reflects his character and reflects his nature in their life. So think about his names for just a moment, how holy and revered his names truly are. The Bible teaches us that he is Elohim, the creator of the heavens and the earth. He is El Elyon, the most high God. He is Jehovah, the great I am, without beginning or end. He is Jehovah Jireh, God our provider. He's Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who is my healer. He is Jehovah Nissi, the Lord who is my banner. He is Jehovah Mekadesh, the Lord who sanctifies you. He is Jehovah Rohi, the Lord who is my shepherd. He is Jehovah Shema, the Lord who is with me. He is Adonai, the Lord and the master. He is El Shaddai, the giver of strength. He is El Olam, the eternally existent one. He is El Gibor, the powerful one. He is Jehovah Elohim, the self-existent strong one. He is Jehovah Sabbath, the self-existent supreme commander of all the heavenly forces. He is Jehovah Shalom, the Lord who is our peace. Jehovah Sidkenu, the 
Lord who is our righteousness. He is redeemer. He is reconciler, forgiver, justifier, sanctifier, glorifier. He is the all-loving, all-wise, all-seeing King of kings and Lord of lords. He is perfect holiness. He is complete in righteousness. He is unconditionally loving, the great God of all purity. There is no one like our God because there is no one but our God. And in heaven, the angels are singing thrice holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And as they are singing, you and I come together and we pray and we join in their adoration of the name of God when we pray, hallowed be your name. There is no one like the Lord. And when we gather together, and we spend time in prayer, our goal should always be to magnify the name of our God, that he might be made known among men, and that we as a church might grow up in our maturity into the head who is the Lord Jesus Christ. So there is no one like the Lord. We ought to worship him. We ought to magnify him. We ought to lift up his name high and point it out for everyone to see. Hallowed be his name. You know, one author, which I love, he states that when we pray, we should attend to how we're thinking about God. Do we see him as a vending machine? Do we see him as a frowning father? Uh, Do we see him as a distant or cold force? You know, after reading that uh, statement, those questions, I have come to realize that how we view God will determine the direction of our prayers, Jesus says when we pray, we should view the person of God as holy, set apart, and pure. You know, Jesus teaches us if we're going to upgrade our prayer life, then we must hallow the name of God our Father. Now, as I was studying this and kind of uh, really meditating on what the Lord was teaching me personally, I began to ask the question, all right? So the question came to me, Lord, how can I know whether or not I am really reflecting an unprecedented uh, reverence towards your name in my own prayer life. How do I know if my prayers are really magnifying your name? Would y'all agree that's a pretty good question? Uh, so how would you know? A couple of ways the Lord taught me this week, and let me just drop them on you very quickly. The first way that I can know this, I know my prayers reverence God when my prayers are motivated by a desire for his name to be revered among men. That is, when I'm praying, do I really desire that God's name be hallowed among other people? You know, Augustine once wrote something um, concerning the phrase, hallowed be your name. He said, quote, this is prayed for not as if the name of God were not holy already, but that it may be held holy by men. In other words, that God may be uh, so known to men that they shall reckon nothing more holy in which they are more afraid of offending, end quote. You know, I started thinking about my prayer life, and then I also began to look at some of the prayers of those throughout the Scripture, especially the ones that the Lord answered, and began to realize that those which God seems to pour his ear toward and his heart toward are those prayers that are motivated by his reputation being made known among men. Listen to Hannah and her prayer in 1 Samuel. She says, O Lord of the angel armies, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. 
And so she prayed with tears in her eyes that God would give her a son that she might offer back to the Lord. And the Lord heard her prayer. Listen to Nehemiah's prayer, Nehemiah 1 and 11. He says, O Lord, I beseech you that your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who, listen, delight to revere in your name. And make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. He was praying for success in the ministry endeavor God had given him so that others might delight in revering his name. Elijah on Mount Carmel in 1 Kings chapter 18 prayed, Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God. Paul prayed in Philippians, and this I pray, that your love abound more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ, listen to this, to the glory and praise of God. And so all throughout Old Testament and New Testament, as you have the opportunity to peek into the prayer lives of those saints who have already gone on to be with the Lord, you have an opportunity to see that when they prayed, they prayed with the utmost reverence for God and a desire that others might come to know him. You know, George Mueller was a missionary of God who wrote about God's answers to prayer. And as I read his autobiographies, I was awestruck at how the reputation of God was so often located in his prayers. On one occasion, before entering into the mission field, which God had put upon his heart, he was struck with a great illness which threatened his life. And he writes, when my doctor came to see me, my prayer was, Lord, you know that he doesn't know what's best for me. You ever prayed like that, by the way, about your doctor? He don't know what he's doing. (laughs) And then he says, therefore, please direct him. And then he writes, when I took my medicine, my prayer was, Lord... Uh, You know that this medicine is no more than a little water. Now, please, Lord, let it produce the effect which is for my good and for your glory. And let me either soon be taken to heaven or let me be restored. Lord, do with me as you think best. It's praying with the reputation of God in mind. You know, think for just a moment about what you are praying for and asking uh, God for. And then ask yourself the question, Is my prayer linked to God's reputation being made holy among men? When my prayers are motivated by a desire for his name to be revered among men, my prayer is reflecting an unprecedented reverence toward God. You know, Robbie Zacharias writes, and I quote, No prayer is sincere if his name is unhallowed. When you and I pray, we must hallow the name of God. Set it aside as holy and revere his name. So when my prayers are motivated by a desire for his name to be revered among men, I know in that moment that my prayers are linked to his reputation. But then secondly, I know that I am experiencing unprecedented reverence when my prayers remind me that I am an image bearer of God, that I'm an image bearer of the Lord. You remember Jesus when he's hanging out and some people came to put him on the spot on one occasion. Uh, Specifically in Matthew's gospel, here's what they said to him. Uh, Tell us then, Jesus, what do you think? Is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their malice and said, Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the poll tax. And they brought to him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is on the coin? And they said, Caesar's. And then he said, Well, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Stay with me. Are y'all listening? Say yes. He says another statement right after that. He says, but render unto God what is God's. 
See, the Lord Jesus was making the reference that upon a coin in those days was the image of Caesar, but upon man is the image of God. Jesus was teaching them that the coin had Caesar's image, but man has God's image upon him. And though marred by sin, the glorious work of Jesus Christ upon the cross has redeemed us from the penalty of sin and death and works in the life of the believer to reflect the image of God in the world. And as we view the holiness of God, we are reminded of our need to bear his image in our everyday lives. You know, Wayne Grudem writes, and I quote, much like a king who places images of himself around his kingdom to show where he rules, God has, through us, placed images of himself across the world to show where he rules. You are an image bearer of the most high and holy God of heaven and earth. When God's reputation is a focus in our prayer, we become keenly aware as a believer that our lifestyles are a reflection of his reputation. Ken Hemphill writes, the second aspect to praying hallowed be your name is the commitment to honor God's name through our speech, through our actions, behaviors, all throughout the day. R.C. Sproul writes, where God is not respected, it is inevitable that his image bearers will also suffer a loss of respect. Think for just a moment, as a local body of believers, when we come together and we are going to worship and reverence the name of God, if we do this in such a manner that we do it flippantly, half-heartedly, unauthentically, if that is our attitude in the context of a church building, that is a reflection of the fact that that's our attitude Monday through Saturday. But when we honor and revere God in our times alone with him and we magnify his name, it motivates us as an entire church body to come together and to genuinely lift up his name and respect and honor him. And God wants to use you as his image bearer throughout the community that others might look at you and realize the Lord reigns in him. You know, when Isaiah saw the holiness of God, he immediately thought of his own lack of holiness. Isaiah shouted this after watching the angel sing, holy, holy, holy. He hollers out, woe is me. Can I give you all that in a redneck vernacular? I am messed up now. He says, I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a men who have unclean lips. He knew at once. When reverencing God, seeing Him as holy, that His life was not a reflection of that holiness. And as you study Isaiah 6, you find that God, through His grace, reached down and actually cleansed Him of His sin. And when you and I pray, the question is, do we think about God's reputation? Do we think about the fact that we bear His reputation? And I fear if we do not, our prayers are more selfish than God-centered. If we want to upgrade our prayers, there must be an attitude of unprecedented reverence. A time frame when we come in and we set aside the name of God as holy. Now, that's awesome when you think about it because um, the model of prayer begins by saying, here's how y'all to start praying. Y'all to start by saying, Father, which speaks of nearness, doesn't it? It gives the imagery of a child kind of running and jumping into the lap of his dad and just carrying on a little conversation. And then Jesus moves from this nearness to a distance. Where God is holy, 
And we realize we're not. And in that course, we are reminded that we bear the image of God, that we want to make sure that we do nothing to mar who he is. That's a prayer. Are y'all listening? Then there's a third attitude. Here it is, willful surrender. Let me give it to you in a sentence, if I can, if my voice will hold out. Y'all still with me? Can y'all tell my voice just went somewhere? I didn't want to leave the microphone on while I coughed, because that's gross. <laughs> willful surrender. Now check it out. Willful surrender describes an attitude in which we personally submit to his reign and long for his complete dominion upon the earth. So Jesus uh, is pray, saying, pray like this, your kingdom come. Now think about it for just a moment, the word kingdom and then the word come. The word kingdom speaks of his rule, his right to reign. It magnifies the authority of God to have dominion over all things. And the word come, this is an imminent cry for his rule and reign to be made manifest immediately. Now my study of that short little phrase, your kingdom come, I realized right quick that I'd only be able to scratch the surface this morning. So I'm going to give you just three short statements that God put in my heart as I was studying that. Uh, what we're really praying when we are asking your kingdom to come. What are we praying there? Here's what we're praying. We are praying for his personal rule in our lives. His personal rule in our life. Now, as I considered this idea for just a moment, uh, this is what came to mind. So you have to uh, do this with me in your brain. All right, y'all ready? Say yes. So in your brain right now, I want you to draw an outline of your whole body. Can you do that? Head to toe. Think about your body. Draw an outline of your whole body. Are y'all doing that? Shake your head at me. All right, when you're, are y'all doing that? All right, you're done with that drawing now. Now I want you to take that drawing and I want you to throw it down on top of a war strategy table. All right, throw it down on top. And then inside the room with a spotlight on your body, just on the other side of the table is your commander-in-chief, the Lord God Almighty. And he is standing there looking down at the imprint of your body. On the other side of the table is your old commander-in-chief, sin. And then there at the foot of the table is where you stand. And all three are overlooking an outline of your body. And sin begins to encourage you in that war strategy room. Looking to you, sin says, give me just one small part of your body to have a foothold in. Let me set up a foothold in your mind. He'll ask you for your eyes. Just let's look at this together. He'll ask you for your mouth. Just say those things. It's no big deal. He'll ask you for your hands. He's begging for a right to rule in some area of your life and have dominion. However, when you and I pray your kingdom come, we are asking the Lord to point out to us areas of our body where sin still has a foothold. And so as you are praying, and as you are overlooking this outline of your body on the war strategy table, sin is trying to beg you to give you a little peace. And then on the other side, God begins to speak to you and say this. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust and its desires. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Literally, that means as weapons of unrighteousness. Don't give your body over to be a weapon for sin. 
And then he goes on and says, but present yourself to me, the Lord says, as alive from the dead. And your members, the members of your body, as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be master over you. And then across the table, your eyes peering into the eyes of your father, as he says to you, present your body as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable unto me. This is your spiritual act of service and worship. Now, sober-minded assessment here. When you look at the outline of your body on the war strategy table, who has the most influence in your life? Is sin calling more shots? Or indeed, do you find that you have submitted more of your body over to the Lord God? You know, Ravi Zacharias states, quote, Prayer is about training one's hungers and longings to correspond with God's will for us, and it is what the Christian faith is all about. So when you and I are praying, your kingdom come, we're saying, God, set up rule and reign in my entire body. Everything I have, I give over to you. It's pretty wild when you think about it, isn't it? We're also praying for his spiritual, can I say this to you? Just look at me real quick. If sin has dominion in your life and you have submitted to some kind of sin, uh, some of you uh, on the internet pornography, some of you caught up in uh, illicit sexual affairs and fornication, and some of you have uh, submitted yourself to some kind of, uh, I don't know, substance abuse, or some of you have some kind of anger issue, you've got some issues going on with your tongue, you just talk like a sailor, as they say, but you just write it off like it ain't a big deal. It is a big deal. You are giving a part of your body over to sin to rule and to reign and God says stop that give me your body so that I might use it to put out more righteousness on the earth and the great news is you can confess your sin as a believer the Bible says he will forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness but when we pray your kingdom come that's what we're doing we're saying Lord set up reign in my heart no part of my body given over to the enemy but then also we're praying for his spiritual rule all around us. You know, there are two spiritual kingdoms. There's the kingdom of darkness. There's the kingdom of light. And when we're praying for his kingdom to come, we are asking that his kingdom take more ground in the spiritual realm of our homes, of our communities, as well as our world. So we are praying that the kingdom of God would take up more uh, place, take up more dominion, take over the darkness in our communities. Everywhere we go, we want the dominion of the Lord Jesus to come. You know, Hank Hennegraff writes, quote, we're praying that God would use our witness for the expansion of his kingdom. I got a lot of quotes in this sermon. Y'all all right? C.S. Lewis describes this world as enemy-occupied territory. Are y'all with me? Say yes. Enemy-occupied territory, and Christianity as, quote, the story of how the rightful king has landed in disguise and is calling us all to take part in his great campaign of sabotage. We're asking God, when we say your kingdom come, we're asking God to use his people, that is his invisible church all throughout the world, uh, his true believers. We're asking God to use his local church, that is Concord, to spread his rule and reign, sabotaging the enemy's plot to take the hearts of men. 
I mean, I am preaching up here. His spiritual rule. There's a third thing we're praying for when we say your kingdom come. We're praying for his future rule over all things. You know, God's kingdom is presently invisible as Christ Jesus reigns in the heart of those who believe. However, there will come a time when God's kingdom will become visible to all nations. You know, Jesus Christ will return to the earth in the future and he will be king over the entire world. We sang about that just a few moments ago. Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 9 tells us, And the Lord will be king over all the earth. In that day, the Lord will be the only one and his name the only one. You know, the Bible describes a day when Jesus Christ will return and be the King of kings and Lord of lords right here on this earth. Please listen to the preacher just a moment. Jesus is already the King of kings and Lord of lords. And when he comes and set his foot down on the Mount of Olives and splits that thing, everybody over the face of the globe is going to know, even if they had rejected him, that indeed he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is King of kings and Lord of lords to the glory and praise of God who is our Father. So Jesus is coming again. And when you pray your kingdom come, you're asking Jesus just to come on, hustle up. Revelation 19, 11 through 16 says this, and I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he who sat on it is called faithful and truth. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. Y'all didn't hear that. The Lord has a name on him which no one knows except himself. All throughout the scriptures we have these names that are given to us that we might praise God. But he's coming back. There's a name we don't even know yet. He's going to let us in on it, I believe. He's clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's pretty wild, isn't it? Your kingdom come. Rule in my heart and life. Anything here that's submitted to sin, I want to repent of it. I want to give you my whole body. When you look down at your outline, man, I'm praying that there would be absolute purity. That there would be white flags held up in every station of your, the members of your body, your eyes, your mind, your ears. White flags of surrender to the Lord Jesus. And then when we're praying your kingdom come, God, use this church. Shake us out here as your image bearers. And it's just like I mentioned in the first service, whenever you sit down for dinner today, some of you are going to say, will you please pass the salt and pepper? And when you get the salt, you're going to take it and you're going to sprinkle it all over that meal, or at least that's what I do, all over the meal so that it tastes. I'm not eating it. That didn't sound right, did it? Y'all don't tell Krista I said that, all right? But anyway, so I'm putting salt on there. And what I'm doing is I am flavoring that entire meal. What God has done at Concord, it says, there's my salt shaker. I want to flavor this entire community. I'm going to shake y'all out all over the place. And then I'm praying, Lord, your kingdom come. Come on back. Hustle up. We'd love for you to come today. Let's get it on. 
Now, some people are like, I don't know about that, man. I got a lot of stuff I still want to do, a lot of life I want to live before Jesus comes. You don't know what the Bible teaches, man. If you get a glimpse of Jesus according to Scripture, you'll be like, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Won't be all this stuff like I got more stuff I want to do. Please, man. So y'all see this, right? Practical as I can get, handlebars, here's how my prayer life is changing. Are y'all listening? Say yes. I come before God, and this is my model prayer. Begin with Father. So in my mind, I come, and I'm sitting before the Lord, and I walk up right to him and say, God, you're my dad. And I want to sit here with you, and I want to share with you some things that are going on in my heart. And, uh, Lord, I want to share with you some things that are happening in my life. And it's not like the Father's looking and going, really? I had no clue all that was happening. Share more. No, no, no. What is happening, though, is we're building a relationship. And through that prayer, I'm growing in my knowledge of who God is. And as I'm praying about a circumstance that maybe I don't have control over, or maybe I think I have control over it, but I really don't, God reminds me that he is sovereign and in control of all things. And as I pray and I, I, I consider some things that need to be restored in my life, some sin that set up camp there, the Lord reminds me that he is a savior who is quick to heal and forgive. And so here it is. I'm just spending time with my father. And then in the midst of that time alone with the Lord, I go and I say, you, your name is hallowed. And then I can spend time just thinking about the names of God, who he is, what he has done in my life personally, how I've seen him work in the lives of other people and just, just worship him, spend time honoring and lifting up his name. And then immediately because of his holiness, I'm reminded of some things in my life that need to be changed. So I say, your kingdom come. First right here, spiritually rule all over my body. And then I'm praying for the church. God, I'm praying for the church, man. God, use Concord. Use, spread us out, not for anybody's namesake, not for anybody's renown, but yours alone. And that's where it's at. God answers the prayer that has his reputation at the center. And then I'm praying. But Lord, if you would rather just come on back today, that'd be all right with me. Y'all out there? Look, you put these things in your life. I'm just telling you, like I, I, I'm, I'm learning. Y'all listening? I'm learning how to better pray, how to better spend time with the Lord, especially because our minds get all sideways and think about all kinds of things. This model prayer, these little simple steps, relational openness, unprecedented holiness, and then, listen, willful surrender. These short little things are helping me. Man, I'm encouraging you. Take these little notes home with you. Put them into practice. Sit along with the Lord and see how the Lord helps you. Let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, you know, I can...